Hello to the 18th SciComm JC podcast episode. Today, we talk about the dominance of English, its place, and the place of other languages in science and science outreach. At SciComm JC, we aim to help scientists integrate findings from the latest evidence-based research in social sciences and in education into their outreach efforts. We curate, summarize, and discuss research studies and their applications to real communication contexts in a way that scientists can easily implement. Hello to our listeners and welcome to my awesome SciComm co-hosts and to a very special guest. Hi, this is Hello. Sherry. Hi. Speaking of co-hosts, we have a brand new team member which will be joining us uh, in one of our following episodes. And for now, you can find her on our social network channels if you search for Amanda Coletti. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, as I mentioned. His name is Arvin Behal. I hope, Arvin, I pronounce your name okay. Arvin uh, also joined our last Twitter chat this past week on Tuesday, the 4th of August. And this podcast is a follow-up of this discussion, as we usually do. Arvin is the bronze winner of our 2020 State Your Mission Statement Challenge. Hi, Arvin. Uh, thank you for joining us. And how about you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us more about your mission statement with which you on third place? Uh, hello. I'm from India and I teach microbiology at a college. Since 2018, I'm learning more about science communication. And by the end of 2019, I started preparing to launch an online magazine to promote science writing. The same was aimed as goals for the mission statement challenge. Briefly, goals were to promote the science communication among students, launch the website, and publish science articles in native languages. Fortunately, I got third position in the challenge, and my website, sciencecrux.com, was online on February 28th. That is also National Science Day in India. Congratulations, Arvin. That really sounds like a great idea. And I'm going to include the link to uh, Arvin's Twitter account and his uh, website that he just mentioned in our show notes as well. So as I mentioned today, we talk about the relationship between natural multilingualism, if I can say it that way, and the predominant use of English in both science and science communication. Uh, during the Twitter chat this past week, we uh, covered a paper which was selected by Arvind. Uh, the paper is an opinion article, actually, which was published in the journal Frontiers in Communication just this uh, spring and is entitled Science Communications in uh, Science Communication in Multiple Languages is Critical to Its Effectiveness and it's co-authored by uh, Melissa Marquez and Ana Maria Porras. Uh, also, a link to the paper will be included in the show notes together with other useful links. Um, very briefly, that publication outlines uh, generally based on the currently available data on the use of languages in science and on the experiences of the authors and their recommendations for remedying some potential drawbacks that uh, the predominant use of English in science can uh, actually ar can arise. Arvin, uh, would you like to tell us a bit more about this publication since you chose it? Yes, surely. This paper highlights the problems as well as solutions to increase the science outreach in regional languages. In the present scenario where every researcher is publishing research in English to communicate it globally, the communication gap with those who cannot understand English is increasing. This article discusses in detail the ways like training scientists, scientists and science communicators increase in science coverage in local media, 
translating the scientific content in local languages and encouraging discussion in native languages thank you so in a bit more broader strokes basically the authors introduce in their opinion uh, that while english as arvin mentioned has been extremely and continues to be absolutely instrumental for collaboration and uh, co-creation in science and innovation the fact that it's still not spoken by ev uh, by everyone not by a long mile can become somewhat of a gatekeeping mechanism for of of some sort areas in which are still developing and might get sometimes the greatest benefit of some of the research being published in English for example say in health agriculture energy or even sustainability um those resources um for them to access that research to begin with and to learn and by extension to participate in the scientific endeavor in English might very well be limited uh, and in some areas they might be completely lacking and according to some of the recent data some internet usage um has been uh, has seen the highest increase in uh, rural areas in the past years and the majority of the people in these rural areas uh, access internet on mobile devices so if imagine if you're in a small community in a rural area and you don't have access to variety of schools let alone oftentimes to universities and respectively their experts the only source of information sometimes that might be relevant to the well-being of yourself and your community might be uh via internet connection and very often times the things that are published relevant for the well-being of your community would be published in english uh, more often than not and in most cases that would be a very technical english so you're practically left in the dark sometimes things are translated in some of the quote unquote big languages like maybe spanish french or portuguese or in some cases russian or chinese but if you don't speak some of those languages as just as much as you don't speak english you really have no access to valuable information that actually can uh, make quite a difference for the development of your community there is just so much more information in english than um in other languages and while this again can be great because uh, it makes it easy for those of us who speak english it opens doors sometimes for mis misunderstandings for some misconceptions and uh, the worst case scenario for misinformation to spread so uh, imagine again if you're only able to get valuable science information in english but you're not very proficient in it you might accidentally misinterpret the information you can infer wrong conclusions and additionally uh, many of the people who unfortunately are actively involved in spreading misinformation um they can abuse the fact that there's little information published in some local languages and by doing so they can control essentially the amount and quality and reliability of the information that the speakers of certain communities receive so some of the suggestions that the authors of that publication uh made in their opinion and one that i particularly really liked is that journals can always try and translate at least the abstracts of the research that is being published in different languages for example when people who do not speak english can easily discover uh, research which is relevant to uh, their question and by doing so they can seek actively help and this can be actually very relevant for science communicators but even more so for legislators 
And another very important point made by the authors of this manuscript is that support for grassroots efforts is absolutely instrumental. So both universities and institutions should really provide support for multilingual scientists and science communicators and really encourage them to do more in their native tongues, even if those languages are not the languages of those institutions. And they should really promote this work. And we as a psychomers, we should really try and amplify and promote each other's voices, especially when they are in different languages. And I'm sure it had happened to at least some of us who are not native English speakers. If you publish something on your um, social media that you usually use for science communication and maybe predominantly pu publish in English. Um, if you publish something in another language, maybe your mother tongue, um, there's always someone to complain <laughs> that they don't understand what's going on. Or sometimes even your followers numbers uh, immediately after this post decrease. I mean, nowadays, on especially on the big social media platforms, uh, automatic translation is literally one click away. And for most of us, we've been doing that with other languages for many years now. So it's not that scary. And it, it just provides some spice to life. And I think Sherry wants to contribute something to that. Yes, I wanted to say something about this worry of losing followers. Actually, I think if you fashion it um, pro properly, it actually is going to raise uh, curiosity. So one recent thing that I did uh, was I was I was cooking and sometimes I document my cooking on Instagram. So I put the picture of the food in there and then I wrote in English cooking with and the name of the artist and the artist was from my uh, country. Um, her name is Gugush and I, and I tagged her. Um, so if you put a little bit of your culture or your language in there, it not only um, it, it creates a context for people who don't speak your language. So if you just put put a post out there and just write in your native language, yes, that because you know people don't understand what you're saying. But if you mix it, so um, if you give your followers the context in in simple English language, you can also translate it and write it in your own language on the same post. Um, then that raises curiosity. And it's interesting that I got so many clicks on the, uh, on the at tag of this artist that I had on my story where I posted it. I've never had that many clicks when I tagged somebody. So I think if you kind of design it a little bit in a more simplified fashion and give people a context, uh, your English followers' context, actually that raises their curiosity. They want to learn more. Um, so just wanted to make a comment on that. Thank you, Sherry. That's actually a very good point because in your specific example, you mixed something that is common for your uh, feed. So people don't feel that all of a sudden something completely different is happening on, on someone's feed that they follow. So it is something that they're interested, but you introduce kind of a, a new factor unknown that people are like, oh, that's something new. That's something different that she's sharing. So that's actually a very valid point. 
And it, it's nice just to know that in our team, at least several of us are, are not native English speakers. And all of us actually live in communities where there are plenty of others who are not necessarily native English speakers. Arvin, I have a, I have a question for you. Do you, when you go to school, um, do you learn, let's say, science in English or do you do it in, in Hindi? Hindu? Actually, we, we have... Uh, options like every state or province have their own language. So there are different type of schools, like in one type of school, we learn English from the very starting and in the government schools, that is totally different. Students learn English when they grow up. So there is option to study science and maths in native language, or you can learn in English. It's on option basis. Yeah, because I see a lot of really nice instructional, science instructional videos on YouTube, which is made by Indian students, students in India, and they record it in yes. English. But if, if these students know the local language, if they know Punjabi and Hindi, it would be nice for them to at least put a maybe closed caption in their language or make it in their language and then make the closed captions yes. in English. This is interesting that you mentioned it, Sherry, because um, Maria mentioned during the Twitter chat that it's something that she started doing recently with one of her other science communication activities, she started doing those explain it in 10 minutes, like I'm 10 videos. Um, yes, and yeah. she mentioned that she started doing uh, subtitles in Russian, mostly for her parents. But she realized oh. that because, and I can I have the same experience as her, because we've learned so much of the science we do in English. Some of the things are actually awfully hard to say in our mother tongues. So it actually requires a bit of practice, but I think it's really yeah. worth it. And it's very interesting to, to see how this pushes a little bit to learn even better your own language at times. Yeah, there was, we had a Twitter chat participant who also was from India. And she said the first time her parents, um, I think she was explaining her science to her parents. I can't remember what the context was. But she learned how to say a word in science, which she usually used in English. She learned how to say it in Punjabi. And when she learned that and, and repeated it, her, she said her mom's eyes really uh, lightened up. So I thought that was interesting. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm uh, using English since many years. And recently I started translating science articles into Hindi and uh, recently in Punjabi. And I was myself surprised that there were many words existing in Punjabi, but we literally use English as such. So when we use the actual work, then we know that everything is existing, but we don't use it. Yes, that's right. Arvin, do you think that um, for the students who don't start uh, learning in English uh, from very early age, it can be a hurdle um, that was kind of a little bit the starter of our Twitter chat, it can be kind of a, um, a, a higher threshold for them to actually engage at all in science because it's predominantly Yes, English. it is uh, It is difficult. Like uh, I, I tell you my own experience, like my schooling has been in Punjabi and when me or any student go to college level, there is all English, like all the books in, are in English. So 
all those students who study in Punjabi or Hindi and they go to college and every book is in English, there is always uh, always difficulty. There is hesitation to communicate with uh, other students because in the same class there are students from English background school and same class have Punjabi background school student. So there is communication gap. Um, this is why I think it's important, and it was also mentioned in the uh, article that we spoke about during the Twitter chat, that especially when science reporting talks about science done by culturally and linguistically diverse experts or groups of experts, um, it's very important for the um, report, the scientific publication, well, the popular science publication to really highlight and give exposure to that diversity because that way people from various underrepresented communities um, who are similar to the highlighted scientists might actually see this uh, and understand that this is still a possibility for them to engage in science and science communication and um, in a way they're introduced to role models from their own group. And interestingly enough, there was an example that I gave um, in more or less the same vein about the Scully effect. It's interesting to see and imagine that uh, for that character with those students who were sur surveyed, basically almost the only common denominator was their uh, gender, that they were all female. Imagine if you have more common and more... Uh, kind of strong connections with a role model, whether it being language, cultural views, political views, ethnicity, background, sexuality, anything that you can really strongly relate to that can really become a very uh, prominent role model for, um, for that community of people who share that trait. And um, it can really increase the chances that they engage and buy in into the messages of, of science and accept or are more open for discussing different science communications messages. That's so true. Well, I want to talk about it from my own point of view in that until we covered this paper, really the limiting power of mostly communicating in English wasn't really on my radar. And even I'm a non-native English speaker, I kind of assume, well, you know, I didn't assume anything. It was just, I wasn't on my radar. Uh, but on the other side, I feel like on top of everything that we're putting on scientists' plates with respect to tr communicating the science communication, now on top of that, we have this translating into a different language, which is one more thing they have to worry about. So, uh, but those of us who do speak another language other than English, and there's many of us, we can, as we, as we talked about before, we can create two different versions of your content, or we can be smart about integrating um, parts of our language in what we uh, communicate. And again, referring back to Maria, that she's creating Russian subtitles for her videos, and I need to learn how to do that. And then it might be useful to create a translation translation coalition with non-native English speakers to help English-only speakers translate their work. I know that's um, that's another that's a big ask, but I mean, if people come together um, and work together, it's possible. Um, 
and then um, create our own content in different languages when we post something. And that's, that's a challenge for me because I've done all my higher education training in English. So sometimes I have to ask my Persian connections about terms that they use in science because sometimes they use different terms. So, um, yeah, and then I also talked about my observation. One language we didn't talk about was sign language. So um, I just kind of wanted to jump in here. I'm um, today on this podcast, I'm actually the only native English speaker. Um, so I'm, you know, in a way I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, oh my God, there's so much that I don't know. <laughs> um, but with that, this was such an interesting conversation for me being a native English speaker to not have recognized the, the privileged place um, that being a, a native English speaker has in science and science communication. Um, and really honestly, to check my privilege is really what this discussion really got me thinking about. And it really opened up an interesting you know, question and sort of an interesting experiment um, I think that we can, you know, do on social media. Um, and I want to challenge those of us that are native English speakers um, to actually partake in this conversation and really do some deep soul searching and thinking. Because as you mentioned, Sherry, you know, there's already an additional burden on people um, who are, you know, speak another language on doing science communication in their own language, you know, in their native tongue um, and doing the translation work. But why are native speakers not necessarily being challenged to do something to learn a second language so that they can also help to be a bridge? And so an interesting sort of social experiment that made me, you know, that came out of our Twitter chat by having English as a foreign language science communicators engaging in doing science communication like via social media in their native tongue. Native English speakers should also be engaging in science communication spaces on social media in languages other than English. And then it would be really interesting to bring everybody together and have a conversation to discuss what they learned with that, because I think there'll be an interesting shift in the consciousness, both from the English as a foreign language science communicators who are going back to their, to their own communities and speaking in their own native tongue and sort of the observations that come from that, but also for those of us who are native English speakers to be actually, you know, following and engaging and curious and open to what the conversations are in non-English spaces. And again, as was already highlighted, there's plenty of options for translation tools. So there is no excuse for those of us who don't necessarily speak another language, or at least not fluently, to, to say, I don't know, I can't participate in that. So I want to challenge those of us who are native English speakers to really think hard about this and what our role is and all our spaces and how we actually can help change or shift the conversation to make science communication multilingual and much more inclusive. Um, the, the value of having English, it could be any language, but the value of having English as a standard language because science is such an international endeavor. And imagine that, um, you're reviewing, you're a scientist, you get a paper to review in a different language. Um, how are you going to be able to review that? So having one common language, it happens to be English, uh, but having one common language for the entire scientific community is really valuable because we have to be able to talk to each other. 
um, and knowing that context really matters in different languages. Um, if we were if we were in a position where we didn't have a common language for the scientific community, that would have been really problematic. Yeah, so I think we have yeah. to think about that aspect of it as well. So it's like Heather said, uh, it's responsibility of native English speakers and also non-native English speakers to take and translate what's out there to people who don't speak this common language. Well, to be fair, absolutely. Neither um, us today nor the Twitter chat we discussed and where Arvin participated as well, uh, nor the publication actually that was the um, background for our discussion at any point um, even remotely hinted that English should not be the common language of science. To be honest, uh, for one thing, that hasn't been the case for so long. Actually, even for my own thesis, at some point I had to quote some scientific research in German, which I don't speak. <laughs> and to be honest, uh, the uh, it, it wasn't that obvious that English would become the universal language of science in, say, the 40s and 50s. Obviously, it had to be one language. And in ideal world, it would have been a, a, a language that wasn't yeah. necessarily burdened by historical and political tensions. And English is not by by any uh, extent alone in that. So our French, Dutch, Spanish, Portuguese, you name it, all the big languages have those problems, so to speak, coming with them. And uh, actually during the Twitter chat, I, I really jokingly mentioned Esperanto as a failed example mm -hmm. uh, of an experiment, experiment of a constructed language. Um, um, and... I was very surprised because some of our Twitter uh, followers that joined in that conversation um, actually hinted to me that there is a very active, even if a relatively small community of speakers of Esperanto, that um, actually the idea behind the language was not really to be imposed by any government or any international organization as a universal language, but in a way to grow um, as mentioned, as a grassroots effort in a way, and by doing so slowly over time proves itself as a universal language. I don't know where the, I don't, we're definitely not there. I don't know if it would be Esperanto that does that, but maybe in an ideal world one day <laughs> that would really be the case, or we would have the technology that would completely uh, abolish basically the need for translation between any languages. Yeah, I think the important point to consider about language is that it's very much connected to culture. Um, so if you just take a language out of a context of a culture, it's hard for people to relate to it. So imagine Star Trek. Star Trek fans who are diehard uh, followers, they have, they've learned the Klingon language. And the mm. Klingon language is connected to the Klingon culture. So uh, I think it would be, it's, uh, I think from a human side of, because we're all, you know, we have to think about our um, non-rational side of us, which is, which basically forms the biggest part of human beings. Uh, when, a, when a language is not connected to, to a culture, it's hard to pick it up. It's like, it's like learning computer language, learning HTML. It's so dry and it communicates the information, but there is no 
context in it. There's no beauty in it. <laughs> and I agree. Um, I agree with what Sherry says that, yeah, the, the language and the culture go together. And in the context of communicating scientific research, it's also the piece that brings that research to those communities, how they're using it and making it ultimately relevant to the people that need it and um, the people that would benefit from that. So I think that there is this nice, you know, this intermingling of the language, the culture, and then ultimately the value of the research that we're doing that kind of all lives together. So that's a larger conversation. But I think it's something that, you know, as scientists and science communicators, we should keep talking about this. And again, that's where talking across languages, um, you know, with each other about this is also really, really powerful. Yeah, uh, hopefully my hope is that when we first started SciComm, JC, Twitter chats, I think with the first Twitter chat that we had, we were able to inspire some people to actually go on Facebook. And some of them actually came back to Twitter and said that's why they did it. We inspired them to go on Facebook and start communicating with their families and friends on Facebook um, and, you know, raise awareness. So I'm hoping this conversation on our Twitter chat um, inspires people to, especially non-English native, non-native English speakers to include some part of their culture and language and their past into their psychology. Absolutely. And to be honest, given that current health situation around the world is far from optimal and events and traveling is kind of uh, quite a bit on hold and almost all uh, communication and outreach is forced to be remotely uh, done either online or uh, via mass media. For us as, as foreign non-native English, English speakers, Uh, scientists or science communicators either way uh, it really now is the time to go back to our native languages and try to reconnect with our local communities if we haven't been connected for a while because either way we don't have the chance to do it um, in person so we might as well um, do it remotely since we're far away well some of us um, and that is a little bit my call to action for our listeners Arvind what is yours? You know, at present, uh, we are facing this pandemic and uh, the situation is not good. So even uh, in like in India, we have all the schools and uh, institutions are closed and there is a lot of pressure and it's uh, seriously a mental pressure uh, to stay indoor or being disconnected with the science or whatever search we are doing. So I think... Uh, we should uh, have a strategy to how to fo uh, face this situation and how to spend our time in a good manner. And all, all the researchers or science communicators, uh, they can plan how to, how to uh, prepare the data. Like, for example, in the case of COVID, there is a lot of misinformation going around. And some of the researchers, they, uh, they, they prepared Uh, new websites to uh, curb this misinformation and uh, and I'm also participating in one of the website and the main aim the main aim is that uh, all the English information we are translating in different languages so whatever guidelines are being issued by WHO or by the Indian Health Organization we are translating that uh, 
data in different languages so that people are not misled by social media because on the social media there are some people who just type anything for the sake of fun mm. and uh, we have to we as a science student or researcher we have to correct it so all, all the participants they should be aware that whatever they are reading if it is from authentic sources is there any lab behind that data or it is just somebody writing so because in present world misinformation is present more than the actual data thank you very much arving for making that point and thank you for and and your partners in that uh, activity for doing that i'm sure it's greatly appreciated by by the communities in india and i would like to encourage everyone to give a shout out and share the accounts of individuals and entities which focus on outreach in languages other than english uh, so as a dare to our listeners share the link for example for this episode on your social media the one that you prefer whether it's twitter or, or uh, facebook or instagram uh, use the hashtag psychomjc so everyone who is interested in participating in that exercise can find it and relate to that information and tag all those english as foreign language accounts you know that do um science communication and outreach in other languages for the sole purpose of helping them connect so they can amplify each other's voices and let's see for just for the fun of it which language is most active on those platforms Unfortunately, this is all the time we had for today. Uh, I would really like to thank my wonderful co-host and thank you very much, Arvin, for joining our Twitter chat and for uh, joining us today for the podcast. And thank you uh, even more so for submitting your mission statement uh, for our um, challenge this year. And I would like to wish you a lot of luck with your activity. And Sherry, what is the next topic that we're going to talk about in our next Twitter chat? The next topic has to do with evolution. And it's a really interesting uh, kind of a review paper uh, saying uh, the title is Humans Are Not Dogs. And it's uh, the conversation about, tra about race. Um, so hopefully we're going to have that sometime in September. Um, and it's a very relevant topic because there's a lot of conversation about race these days. Awesome. Thanks. I'm looking forward to that. And additionally, we have a very interesting uh, brand new initiative from our team. Sherry, would you want to introduce Sure. It? It's called Psycom Scenarios. If you um, go to our website, the latest blog post is by our brand new and awesome um, team member. Amanda Coletti. Uh, she joined our team just the right time as we are launching this project and she's basically going to manage it. Um, and the premise is this. We learn a lot about science communication in theory. Um, so there's a lot of principles that are taught, know your audience, keep culture in, in check, um, all sorts of different, put it in context, use uh, metaphors, things like that. But um, real life, although these are really interesting things, they're all, all these principles and directions. A lot of them come from experiments in um, maybe in labs, social science labs. Uh, but the question is, what do these conversations look like in real life? 
So this is mm-hmm. uh, a resource that I, we want to give people to arm them with um, maybe proper information and proper context and maybe uh, talking points to know how to have difficult conversations uh, with people. So we're going to, what we are planning to do, we're going to take a topic and then we take a conversation that is real. So all of us are collecting uh, situations in which we have talked Uh, We've had um, real conversations with real people and conversations that at times really challenging, for example, about vaccines. So we quote that, um, um, quote that point uh, that someone made, let's say, who's anti-vaccine, anti-evolution, anti-climate change. We put that up there to people, to the SciComm community and say, how would you respond to this in a way that is effective? because a lot of conversations are angry and uh, useless. So we're hoping we start a conversation with that and Amanda's big job is going to be collecting all of that and summarize that in blog posts so people have a resource to go to. Uh, so we're looking forward to it. That's very exciting. Uh, to stay in touch and to actually follow the development of this new initiative, make sure to follow us on Twitter at SciComm underscore JC. So also you can participate in those um, in this initiative and see the, the results. You can also read um, the Twitter moments from our Twitter chats on, on our at SciComm underscore JC Twitter account. And you can also find a lot of relevant information on our website, www.psychomjc.org. You can also leave comments and get in touch with us both on our Twitter account and our, on our website. Uh, I encourage you all to subscribe to our newsletter to receive updates for all of our upcoming events, our Twitter chats, podcast releases, summaries of interesting psychomy topics, anything that really interests us and you respectively in science communication. Again, the website is www.psychomjc.org. If you're interested in doing an internship or collaborating with us, get in touch and we'll get together and uh, brainstorm what is the best way to collaborate. This is how we just recently had Amanda joining our team. We also have a form to express your interest to collaborate on our website. If you're interested, just go ahead and fill it in and we'll get back in touch with you. This podcast is recorded, produced and edited by me, Nevena Christozova, and the Science Communication Journal Club team. Our music is composed by Musical Cocktail from Audio Jungle. Thank you very much for joining this 18th episode of the Psychom JC podcast. If you liked it, let us know and please share it with your friends. Till next time and stay nerdy.